This is Jose Ignacio Faro, producer of Are We Still Talking About This? In this episode, Jessica and Adam speak with the brilliant Gary Goldman about depression, electroconvulsive therapy, comedy, the writing process, and recovery. Links to dates for Gary's The Great Depression Tour, as well as links to mental health resources and other content discussed, can be found in the episode description. Enjoy! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So I just want to start to say that Gary Goldman is one of the greats. <laughs> and it's weird to say that. Um, looking right across from you, but it's true. Um, You know, everyone says, I hear this this again and again, if you're not as good as Goldman, then (laughs) what are you even doing? You know? Oh my God. Or people refer to you as Goldman. Goldman can do this. You can't do, you know, people will refer to you. But I can name 50 guys that I feel that way about, you know, other comedians that I think really Really? know how to do it. Like like writing wise, who would be number one for you? Probably like Dave Attell. Oh, or, you can't count him. Yeah, or, or Ryan Hamilton or or Brian Regan, John Mulaney. I haven't seen his latest thing, but but like his early stuff was so incredible, and I and I heard the new one is is amazing too. And Berbiglia, and there's just countless. Yeah, I would definitely think you 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 would be like the top three if <laughs> well, it was how to write a complicated <laughs> but really really engaging um, wow. set. Smart, is, funny, yeah, intellectually sound, thanks. Palatable where, when it should be palatable, and challenging when it should be challenging. Oh, thank you. Like that's uh, I, I watch your stuff and I rewind and pause. <laughs> we'll break down how you did wow. certain things. So we're fangirls here of you. When did you start talking about um, like anxiety and depression in your act? Well, it's interesting because Jessica was well. We collaborated on my set for for Colbert. And everything on that set was a symptom of depression, but I did not feel safe, comfortable, or uh, confident enough to to go on national television and say, these are how my depression manifests. If you were simpatico with me, you would say, oh, this guy's depressed. Or if you understood depression, you would say, this guy's depressed. But if you weren't, you would just say, oh, this is the laziest man I have ever <laughs> It was the fork and the ice cream yes. joke. Yeah, it was all about what you could read into somebody by finding a fork print in their ice cream. And now I say that it's a, a, one of the unofficial symptoms of, of depression. But then I just said, this is how tired I am. Yeah. And, and so... Yes. And I think the impetus for me talking about my depression and anxiety on stage was I I really plumbed the depths of my my um will 
and endurance by I was in the midst of a depressive episode when I when I taped that Colbert and I look oh, at myself wow. and I'm like oh my gosh I was a I was a mess I slept up until it was time to get dressed and then came home and slept after that I mean I was just dying no one would have and known nobody would have known the adrenaline kicked in no. thank God it, that's you what killed I was you crushed it was all joy and hugs yeah it's amazing. Thank God. It's amazing what we put ourselves yes. through, the mental gymnastics, yes. you know, that I, I, you know, even when I'm most stressed out, it's just. Yeah. But I, I heard an interview with Dick Cavett and he was saying the same thing. He said, I interviewed Groucho Marx and I was suicidal and anxious. And then I watched it and I wouldn't have known that there was, I had a care in the world. So it's, it's where I, People say it's brave to talk about going through depression, but what's really brave is enduring it and, and going on. And, and I wouldn't say I was faking it because for those five minutes, I felt pretty good. It's, it's just the, the endorphins and the, and the dopamine kick in and, and you're able to, to survive. But it, it wasn't until I think October of 2017 that I did this interview on a show called The Hilarious World of Depression, which is so helpful to a lot of people and myself included. And that was the the first time that I was completely open about certain things like being in the in the hospital with depression and the some of the treatments that I had undergone and the feedback I got from that was so was so strong. And a few months prior to that I had gone so so dark. I, I was so sick that I moved out of New York City. I'd moved back to my hometown and was contemplating giving up comedy. And then when I decided I needed to do comedy to to make a living for a while in between finding a new job after 24 years or 23 years at that time, it was just so obvious that I was depressed and anxious when I got on stage. My, my face betrayed it, and I was shaking, and I was just a wreck. My hair was out of control. I wasn't really taking good, good care of myself. I had put on like 30 or 40 pounds, and so it would have been impossible not to address it on stage and, and carry through. So that was, I guess it was a necessity that I started talking about it on stage. So it's a really long answer to your question, Adam. It's a great answer. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you're comfortable speaking about um, some of the things that helped you what? during that uh, 2017 period when it, when it was really dark, was there a particular treatment or was there a lifestyle change that you feel or like? Or coping mechanisms that you... Yeah, when I, it lasted from like March of 2015 and I started to come out of it in the late summer of 2018. 17 oh and God, that's long that's, yeah, that's clinically it's, abnormal yeah, very abnormal yeah. and never i'd never had an episode last that long and i was in the hospital twice during that time and then i i switched medications for like the fourth time in that in that two-year period and it made me feel a little bit better and i, I remember for years Coffee did nothing for me. So I had stopped even drinking coffee because my my mood was so low and, and I was so depressed and everything was slow in my mind. I walked slow, everything. And I had a cup of coffee and suddenly it, it worked. Like I, I, had, I had that, oh, I feel like a god after this cup of coffee. And th that was like the first day where I was like, oh, I'm, I, I might be getting better. And then the medicine 
that I had started taking two weeks prior after about three weeks started to work well enough that I could I could get up at a reasonable time and I could spend time with with friends and and I think that was the that was the key I would I would make plans and I would accept invitations even from fans at comedy shows I became friends with a few people who who came up to me after shows and asked me if I wanted to have dinner or get coffee and and I started to say yes to all those things and make plans with my friends and get out of the get out of the house and and that was that was really helpful. That was like, that's the one thing I tell people because I know there are some days and some months and for me years where nothing helped but the hour or two or three with a, with a friend at least distracted me from, from my anxiety and, and depression and got me out and <clears throat> gave me a, a reprieve from the ruminations that you have and the fears and the shaking and it, it was so helpful. And then and then a million other things, exercise, eating right, walking my dogs, making uh, plans, and running. I started to run again, which I never thought I'd, I'd run again. And, yeah, reading. I was able to read. I hadn't read in two and a half years. And I read, I read this past year 53 books. So I, I read like a book a week, and, and I'm, I'm – passionate and obsessive about reading and I couldn't read I couldn't concentrate for two and a half years and it was it was one of the worst one of the worst aspects of my my episode yeah when I talk to people about uh, medication I now that I'm not a therapist anymore I can talk about myself so when you're oh, in good. the room you're right, never supposed right, to yeah, do that but yeah. uh, I, I would try and say that medication is just it'll just hopefully bump your baseline yes. up a little yes so then you can do the things like yes. exercise or be with friends that are really going to help you and yes. i think for people to understand that the medication is not going to make you better it hopefully will just and for me it was wellbutrin bumped yep. up stuff enough where i can yes. be active and alert and roll out of bed and yes food tastes a little better i yes. get my buzz off coffee like you said i drag yeah. my ass to the gym yes that's such a great point and, and one of the things that's that's so insidious about depression and people don't even mention it is that you don't enjoy any of the things that you used to look forward to and give you a reason to get out of out of bed so mm-hmm. Watching basketball, watching movies, going to um, live sporting events, reading—all these things did nothing for me. There was no, there was no escape. There was no escape. The the one thing that I could rely on, though, is if people came over or I went over to people's houses, I could I could escape for for a little while, and that was so helpful. And when you're yeah. on stage, are you escaping? For a while, I was. And then in the summer of 2017, it was like I can't even get on stage without shaking and, and, and losing my place. And I was always concerned that I, was on, I would be on the verge of crying on, on stage, which is – that had never happened to me. It had never affected my, my stage performance. And in 2017, it, it started to, and, and that, was, that was hard to come back from. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk to you about your writing process. Yes. Because um, you are such a writer. Yeah. Um, we had on uh, writer Melissa Phoebos uh, the other day. Oh, and she wow. was uh, she's a memoirist, and she says every yeah. day for 10 minutes she does uh, just write to write. Yes. And I'm wondering, what what is your routine? Cause it seems like you're forming more routines. Um, have you always had a, a writing pattern? Yeah. For, when I first started, I would I would write everything down word for word and sound it out and talk it out but but memorize it and then go on stage and then as i started to get 
a little bit better. I was able to maybe try a line here and there, ad-libbed on the stage. And once I got to a level where I was where I was competent, and I, to use a, a, a musical metaphor, I learned the scales and the formulas of of comedy and the the sort of grammar and and the things that I wanted to talk about. I would record the sets and then transcribe them. And the transcribing one, it gets you to do the hardest thing, which is to open up your notebook and and actually write. And you're telling yourself, all I have to do is write what I said. That's so that's so easy. And then without exception, I add things, I change things, I come up with new ideas, there are jumping off points and and so that's what I that's that's the best advice I can give somebody and and it's hard because listening to your voice and and the audience never sounds as good as it did on from the stage the the microphones just can't capture it so you're like oh was this did this not go that well you just have to rely on on that feeling you had when you told it this was a good joke and this worked and you said it this way and then over the years I've sort of combined Jerry Seinfeld says he writes everything out memorizes it tells it figures out exactly how to say it and repeats himself and does an impression of himself. A little yeah. OCD maybe. Yeah. A little OCD. Yeah, that's true. Do yes. You know, when I when I you know before I got uh, into television, I was writing for magazines for many years. I was a freelance writer and often I would have to transcribe the interview, right? Yeah. And I would often turn in the story late because I couldn't stand listening to the interview. <laughs> I and know. I couldn't stand it. It was painful. Yes. You know, like the little giggles or the, yes. you know, I remember there's an interview I had with Van Morrison and I was so embarrassed. Oh, my word. The Van Morrison one and the Iggy Pop one were the ones where I was just like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. I was much younger, too. I was very giddy. I was sure. just like, I was like, this is so embarrassing. And I would just cut out and I would just say, you know, editorially, is it okay if I just cut out like just multiple things or is that... <laughs> is there a no, problem with that? It's embarrassing. Yeah. But it got me to bend. Then I just started forcing myself. I'm like, you yes. know what? You, I just have to. And then yes. I have to. I'm not going to get work if I continue to uh, hand in things late and and be an, be an asshole. Good for you. Yeah. But it's so hard. Yeah. So I mean, hard. I've I've said it to so many people. And the, the one person who's like the the Buddha of New York comedy is Colin Quinn. And, and he listens to his sets and he says, yeah, it's impossible. It's painful. But you, but there's no better thing to to doing. I mean, sometimes it's like finding finding treasure. Like I said that I can't believe that's so funny, and I didn't even remember saying it. And you and you can repeat it, so you miss things. Nobody has a a perfect memory. The the other thing I was going to say is that I read this interview with Gary Shandling in GQ, and he was saying that he fumbles with the order of the words and the delivery and the pace and ev- fumbles with everything and changes it from night to night. And so I adopted sort of the uh, middle road of of those two things. Before I do a special, I try to fumble with the with the with the pacing and the delivery and the order. And then by the time I get to the special, I've tried it a number of different different ways and, and in different orders and tones and, and paces. And I say, well, this is the best. This feels the best. This is this is where some some acting works. And and so by the time I put it on a special, it it'll be the hopefully my best foot forward. So that, that's I think that's my process. Can I say um specifically, I always like it when you call yourself Gare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how, how did that come about? Do you do walk on the house? Hey, Gare. Um, 
I find it makes my uh, girlfriend laugh and my friends laugh when I refer to myself in the third person <laughs> because it's so obnoxious. Um, and so it, I think every comedian is trying to get to that comfort on, on stage where this is like what I'm like with my, with my friends in my best moods during the, the best of, of times when I'm, when you get that feeling, Oh, look at me, I'm holding court. And then you realize you're holding court and you fall apart and you draw inward. But when you're doing that on stage, I, th I think that's the ideal point. Like there's always a time during the day where I say to myself, Oh, I feel so good and so confident right now. If they introduced me right now, I'd have the set of my life and it, it never coincides with showtime, but, but there's that feeling and, and yeah, calling myself Gare. And I was just talking yesterday about being the, the comedian you would have wanted to see. And, and it's, I'm borrowing, I think somebody said, write the book you wanted to read. And, and so that, that, that was my idea. Like if I, if I was 17 years old and I saw somebody talking about what I'm talking about, I mean, it would be surreal because I would be talking about my, my family in, in specific detail, but it's very rare that that something that's really specific doesn't translate to, to people. It's, it's almost uncanny. I think it, in Emerson's self-reliance, he ta he talks about the specific being universal, and and that was when I when I read that I, that was that was a revelation that was really helpful, and, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason um, when people hear people like you that they admire speak about struggling with these issues that it, it's very helpful for them. Yeah, I, I think it's helpful for not to the extent that I experienced it for because two and a half years is torture and it's and it's almost like a punishment, but. It's made me so much more compassionate and and humble, and I'm glad I had a struggle. I just I could have learned the lesson in three to six months rather than two and a half years. When was your yeah. first um, episode? Well, probably when I was six or seven. Okay, so. but they would they would never. They sometimes would last the winter. Right. But they were they were never six weeks remit. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. kind of yeah. the normal course. Like yeah. Me personally, uh, that's how they they yeah. come and then they go. But the yeah. idea of them not going for two and a half years is terrifying. Terrifying, and it was so. I was undiagnosed until I was nineteen, like most most people in the in the seventies and eighties. And then I got a diagnosis my before I even started school because I was on a football scholarship. So we had summer training camp before school started, and I fell apart. And the trainer sent me to a therapist, and that started my my therapy regimen. But yeah, I I, th I think I, I'd been undiagnosed since I was six or seven. But no episode had lasted that long, and it was it was terrifying. Is the exact right word? Yeah. I mean, that's I, I can't, that is very very unusual. I'm trying to think back in my head of uh, anyone that I worked with or heard about in supervision of something lasting that long. Right. And there's some. But uh, it's rare, and usually when something lasts that long, they, they try and sell you on the really extreme treatments like ECT or stuff like that when they kind of run out of other traditional yeah. drugs, which uh, like either the idea of ECT, even at my worst, um, it still kind of frightened me. Yeah, well, I won't go into um, details, but that was one of my, one of my treatments. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't. No problem. It, it was helpful. I talk about it in my in my news special that I'm working on now, which that was that was difficult because there's such a stigma associated with that. Yeah. But yeah, 
Do you think it did it help in overall? Yes. Oh, it did. That's wonderful yeah, to hear. Definitely. Yeah. Was it more of a short term thing, or um, it was probably a springboard, at the very least, and and mm. it it annihilated the anxiety within wow. a couple of treatments. It was dramatic. Yeah. Your work means a lot to a lot of people, and they mm-hmm. really enjoy it and helps them. In your process, when that anxiety is really, really intruding and those intrusive thoughts are to the point where you can't think about anything else, is it ever feasible to maybe rationalize, if this gets quiet, I'm not doing it for myself, but I'm doing it for other people, and then that'll get out there? You know, is there like a strange service element that oh could ever gosh. be useful? There are, there, are, there are two things that I had tacked up on my wall right next to my to my bed and my bed was right up against the wall so i would see it every morning and every every night and one was this quote by samuel beckett that says ever tried ever failed no matter try again fail again fail better all right so i i took that as permission to fail enormously and the way i interpreted it was well you're not failing it as long as you're trying and you're going to fail and there's no escaping it and you'll get better and i just kept hearing that from all from all different authors neil gaiman said something similar in a in a memoir and book of essays that he he wrote and then the other thing was was something i i had heard through somebody who is who is muslim and it was check your intentions and i said if i'm talking about mental health and my my experience in order to make f- people feel less alone and feel better and and feel that there's some hope that even if they're not laughing, even if I'm bombing, I'm doing a service. I'm not trying to get rich. I'm not trying to get famous. I'm just trying to do the right thing. If I help some people, then this is, this is successful. And that just relieved all of my anxieties. Uh, about that, whether it whether it would land on television, whether it would only be the the few hundred or to a maybe fifteen hundred at a theater show that I that I play, if only those people were affected by it, then that would be then that would be fine. And and because I have no control over whether it gets on on television and and whether it reaches a million people rather than fifty thousand people or how, however many have come to see me on my recent tour. So that was liberating. Yeah. Because yeah. it really does mean, I mean, people would come to me and say, these things are helpful. And it yeah. was the normalizing stuff in comedians they respect or what they read. Right. So it really, I don't think people understand how much that connectivity means. And that's why I, uh, I push you with the ECT a little, because I think if, if people understand that, that's out there, that happens, that can be as, as, as troubling as it seems to an outsider like me if one person is yeah. in a place where it's been two and a half years and yeah. that it is something to maybe even consider and to destigmatize it just yes. to hear someone. Because people a, look at you and they, yeah. they, they see composed right. and brilliant and kind, which I'm and all seeing, <laughs> which, I'm see, which I'm seeing right now. Yeah. We just met an hour ago. And so if they could have that with someone who underwent that style of treatment, I think. Yeah, been- there's a stigma, but it's considered the gold standard. And I came to it through a, a, a very respected doctor at, at Cornell who was an expert on ECT and an advocate for it. And also a, a TED Talk that a, that a man 
and I can't remember his last name, but his first name was was Shepard, and he had been in a catatonic state in like his 40s, and he was a surgeon, and they were considering giving him a lobotomy, and a, a young intern said, can we try ECT? People don't weren't doing it very much anymore. It had a horrible reputation and a horrible stigma. And they started to give him, and and he made a full recovery and, and practiced surgery again. And, and now he's a, an activist and an advocate for it. And it was it was really helpful. It's, it's really effective, and it works quickly. And it saved a lot of lives, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm definitely in, in favor of it, yeah, yeah. How many sessions? Um... Probably ten, I think. Yeah, ten or twelve. And they they space yeah. them. Oh, well, I did my first round in in hospital, so it was like three a week for two or three weeks, I think. And then I did some outpatient. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> and then, I mean, like it's yeah. I, if people out there, I think, will get what I mean by good for you because oh, is, I hope so. It's a, it's a, it's a big one at the end where you have to really kind of bet on yourself and say, yeah. this is one last thing I'm willing to go through and yeah. be hopeful that you can be yourself again. Because a lot of times at that level, people can't even see um, or remember when they were themselves, if that makes sense. So if yeah. you can get them to that place where, you know, you can be yourself again. I I'm sorry, I also used to work a suicide crisis line, so this oh, stuff gosh. comes up. Uh, but I th- it's, it's just cool, I think. So yeah. thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm... I- the feedback I get when I when I do my my jokes about it, which was really hard. I had a friend who encouraged me to do it and and really pushed me to do it, and that was really helpful because I I just thought that the audiences would be like, oh, too dark. We're not going there with you. And I I worked hard at it, and I spent a lot of time writing, preparing before I tried it out, and then and then you you figure it out. But it probably was the 25 years of experience as a comedian that enabled me to talk about something so dark in a in a comedic way. I mean, yeah. you're almost you're one of the few people ever in the yeah. history of the world that had the 25 years of chops, right? right? And then went through this. Yes. Um, I don't know if abnormal, unusual, yeah. Ill, and pronounced illness. Went through that treatment and can now hopefully bring people to it because you're yes. equipped to tell jokes about it. Right. So, I think that's a really through big the deal. Fire. Yeah, <laughs> like that song. Yeah, a there's deal. a young there's a young comic I'm working with right now, and his set is all about anxiety. And we've been working on the set for about seven, eight months now. And the more he's leaning into it, yes, the better it's getting. Yeah, and of you know he wasn't you know th- uh, four months ago he was supposed to tape, and he wasn't ready because uh-huh. he wasn't owning it and he wasn't sure. feeling it. Yeah, and so we talked about it a whole lot. I said, if you're going to talk about what anxiety feels like, I want to feel it. Yeah. I want to feel your anxiety while you're talking about it. Yes. Oh my gosh, what and, a great opportunity. Yeah. So he opens yeah. for Regan a lot, and. You know, and he said, you know, it's so weird because, like, Brian told me the same. Brian told me that I just need to just, own, you know. Is so, it Rogers? Yeah, Steve Rogers. Oh, yeah, yeah, great yeah. guy. Yeah, Love I Steve Rogers. Yeah, so yeah. he's just like, you know, Brian yeah, said that so stuff funny. was working too. And I said, yeah, yeah it is because, yeah. you know, the other stuff was working when he starts off, you know. And, and, and I said, and I referenced you, I said, I, you and also Nick Griffin, I said, watch Nick and watch um, Gary with how they – play with emotions and, and oh, the wow. crowd. And how, oh, what a great compliment. Nick yeah. Griffin is a master. Oh. oh, my gosh. He's as good as it gets. Oh, love yeah. him. 
So Griffin, whenever he did Colbert, um, he the reaction was when he got on the stage, it was a lot, and his whole body moved, and he, <laughs> and, he, and it just kind of just started the set. So oh, that's so great. Strongly, yeah. Like electroshock. Yeah, he's one of the closest. Maybe not that. Maybe not. One of the, yes. One of the closest okay, okay. comedians <laughs> to authentic. Like he's very so honest, and yeah, he's he's remarkable. I I, I really value my friendship with him, and and I'm honored uh, to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of the greats. Yes. Um, do you have any stuff that you're? Um, I know you're working on a new hour. Is there anything that you are plugging right now? Is there anything um, that you like? I'm doing Conan on January 31st. We could get this out before then. Yeah. That's not a big deal mm-hmm. if you don't. And That's oh, a good I have point. a t- like what the fuck Yeah. <laughs> Our big tour. podcast. Okay. I have a tour. Oh, the tour is a good one. It's called yeah. The Great Depression. Is it? <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. That's what I'm going to call tentatively the special The Great Depression. I like it. Awesome. Thank you. And. Yeah, it starts, there are some dates in February, but it's mostly March, April, May, and June, March through June. Do you have a website up yet? Yeah, GaryGolman.com. Oh, and it's all on there. So we'll, it'll be on there, yeah. If the, if the it'll, it'll probably announce the end of January. Perfect. So yeah. we're, in the episode description, we'll obviously link to that and anything yeah. else you in want. Your site. Um, yeah. Anything that you think would be helpful for people book-wise or that helped you, we can link it right there at the bottom of yep. the thing if you want to email the, that. Or, the Noonday Demon. By Andrew Solomon, "Darkness Visible" by William Styron. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one. Yeah. "An Unquiet Mind" by K. Redfield Jameson, which is more about bipolar, but that's really helpful. Anything mm-hmm. by K. Redfield Jameson is is remarkable. She's an incredible writer, but yeah, I think that is helpful. Assuming you've already read the Bell Jar. <laughs> if the Great Depression was like a meal, what would it be? Oh, if the Great Depression was a meal, I think it would be, it would be, it would be Thanksgiving dinner, I think, and probably every comedian says that because there's a, like, I've, during the tour, I mean, the special will be shorter and there'll be a documentary component to it, but I'm doing like 90 to 100 minutes during the the tour and and some of it is white meat turkey and other is candied yams and pecan pie and things like that so there's there's some really fun stuff but then there's some some heavy stuff about going into the into the hospital but luckily my hospital stay was was excellent and very helpful and and that's important for yeah. people to hear too yeah. yes that Especially my, people my, my experience was just girl interrupted and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So I, I hadn't really no and the episode where Homer Simpson goes to his roommate is Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson yeah. 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 So I knew very little about the hospital and I was terrified and the experience was was so beneficial and, and so therapeutic. So yeah. I had a good experience. Well, I'm, I'm noticing your tattoos on your Yes, hands. I have a I have a heart for, that my girlfriend and I share on my on my ring finger, and then I have a peace sign as drawn by Kurt Vonnegut. Really? Um, he didn't yeah. draw it. I copied it. And oh, oh! I was like, he didn't tattoo me. Tattoo artist? Yeah, that's very. I might have yeah. gone with the uh, the asshole that he drew <laughs> oh, yeah. in that same yeah. book. <laughs> but then, yeah. but then I I thought that might have a a, a bad subconscious. Yeah. So peace, uh, I thought was was better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Breakfast of Champions is a wonderful book. Oh, I, every word he wrote. 
I adore. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like my favorite philosopher. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we want to link to my appearance on Colbert. Let's, so okay. That, yeah. yeah let's so that we that. can um, shed some light on yeah. what it looks like to be depressed. It's, I can't believe I mean, just the energy that you had to get yourself to. Oh my the, gosh. I remember that day. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, but I was so excited for it. It's like it's your birthday. Like there's no way I would say no to something like that. Yeah. But but it it took a lot of ramping up that day. And and yeah, and luckily everybody was so nice over there. And and my girlfriend is still talking about the pickled okra. That was in the gift bag. That's oh. so funny. How's she doing? Terrific. She's one of the other yeah. one of the other pilots. Yeah, her last name is Pilot as well. Yeah. Is that her real last name or is yeah. it a, a fake one like Jessica's? No, it's not fake. <laughs> Every time, every time it drives her crazy. <laughs> I remember once, like how uh, how I knew that things probably weren't so good because you know when with my mild to moderate stuff, yeah. you get used to it after a while before it gets really bad. I'm a huge football fan. Okay. And uh, it was the Super Bowl, and I would not get out of bed to watch the Super Bowl. And that was one of those is like uh, we might need to up yes. your own level of care, Adam. <laughs> yes. So it's just little things like wow. But, yeah. The things you don't enjoy, my goodness. Yeah, and it's like getting your whole your whole life back and a new life. Who do yeah. you think would play us in the movie of today? I think Joaquin Phoenix would be good for you. Oh, that's the Adam. nicest thing anyone has <laughs> and, ever said to and me. And yeah. Scarlett Johansson yeah, is Jessica yeah. Pilot. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that and works too. Jose, who will play Jose? Hurley from Lost. Oh, no! Hurley's... You look like Hurley's thin, handsome younger brother. <laughs> All right, so if we can really? find that, Are that you play actor. Yourself, Gary, or you gonna... No, I'm going to be played by Paul Rudd. What about oh, Mark? Good. What about Mark Ruffalo? Oh, <laughs> Ruffalo! Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. All right, Ruffalo, the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Good. A little more of an intellectual bent. Very cool. Yeah, this was great. Well, thanks thank so much you. for having awesome. me, guys. Thank you so much. to turn the page a little bit. Um, sure. I want to talk more about obsessions. What are you obsessed with? <laughs> wow. I'm obsessed with a, with a lot of things. Like the first thing I was obsessed with was was magic. When I was a little kid, I was really into learning magic tricks. And then I became obsessed with with baseball and baseball cards and collecting things. And I became obsessed with books and reading, and and today I'm obsessed with with basketball, jokes, comedy, reading, words. Yeah, a, a lot of I have a lot of obsessions. Numbers. I have a lot of number numbers are an issues. One. Yeah. yeah, everything has to be in multiples of of seven or wow. eighteen or You'd nine. You love my number. I mean, it's all sevens. I have all sevens in my birthday. Seven, seventeen, seventy. Yeah. I get obsessed with things, and sometimes it just it then creates anxiety. Yeah. So my obsessions can sometimes hurt me. Oh, definitely. And yeah. Yeah, and my goodness, I ruminate over over jokes. I mean, that was part of the part of my recovery was in order to stave off the the anxiety and ruminations. I would listen to to audiobooks and 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 nonfiction type podcasts, nonfiction audiobooks to distract my mind in the in the morning, especially when the anxiety was really wow. bad. And I felt bad because I, I I like to be present for my dogs when I'm walking them, but I I was 
I was in excruciating pain. It was it was it was physical from the anxiety. But if I listened to to On Point on NPR or the BBC News Hour on NPR, I would be distracted from my my fears and 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 my anxiety. Yeah, is, is that something a therapist uh, told you to do, or did you come to that? No, on I just own? I just figured that out oh, on my own. That's yeah, great, man. Thank that goodness. might also explain yeah. why I always leave the TV on when I'm in the house sure. by myself. I get to, and I'm never watching. It'll be like Sports yeah. Center. CNN, any live, anything, I can't, yeah. I need some something else there. Yeah. But now I've been able to get back to a, a point where I don't need constant distraction, and that's really helpful for, for thinking about jokes and, and ideas and, and coming up with things. So when I walk or when I'm going to shows and, and I always... I find the subway is a great place to write on the way to the thing. Like so many comedians just get on the stage. I'll figure it out when I get on there. And and I just watched Colin Quinn for years go over his notes before he got on stage. And it's like if he has to do it, then who am I? He's we, yeah. We just saw his new show. Was that last? Yeah, night? I'm going yeah. next week. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. It's, it's so much fun. Oh, he's so, so great. Yeah. And what I realized too is because it's the first time I've seen him perform one of the hours live. So I'm usually yeah. on. At my, you know, on Netflix. Sure. The amount is kind of like your stuff. I'm pausing and rewinding constantly yes. live. I'm like, oh my god, it's too much. Yes. Yeah. yeah like and he talks wash. so fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. much to unpack in his yeah. stuff. It's like, yeah. I'm glad he's doing better. Me too. Hard, hard yeah. Time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was like of all people. Are you I know. Me? I know. Colin? I know. Oh, thank God he made it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.